script that is skewed from the very beginning. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. that you just, it's a lose lose. Yeah. Sorry. I'm unable oh. to do that. Oh, oh. my goodness. All right. My... <sighs> well, What's no it? one asked you. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> see, see, my phone is listening. What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was terrifying. <laughs> like, Excuse you, sir. We're trying to have a conversation here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 123. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about virgency culture. Author Glynis Whitwer, one of the staff writers with Proverbs 31 Ministries, once keenly noted, quote, our culture has created a sense of urgency and expectation that's hard to shake, end quote. Have you felt it? the push and pressure to act or speak whether you're ready or not, whether you'd like to or not? You're not alone. Urgency culture is a phenomenon sweeping many of our modern lives and making us wonder, what is to be done about it? But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to listener Danny Marie, who left us a comment on our YouTube channel last year under our episode, The Homemaker's Creed, and said, quote, This podcast literally lifted my mood and renewed my passion for homemaking. I was drudging along today until I listened to this and was reminded of the importance of these daily tasks, end quote. Well, thank you so much, Danny Marie, for leaving us your comment on our YouTube channel. It's so great to know that we can connect with you there as well, and that we've shared in your homemaking journeys and endeavors even over on YouTube too. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. One of the top stressors in my marriage is how Jason orders food and drinks at the (laughs) drive-thru. It's the stuff of legends around here. Our kids can imitate it. And when I tell people just how he unravels at the drive-thru speaker, we all have a good humored laugh. So after another crazy drive-thru experience, I thought I'd look into drive-thru etiquette. And yes, there is plenty to say on this topic. I wanted to start first though with this very important question. Is it drive-thru, T-H-R-U, or drive-thru, T-H-R-O-U-G-H? Well, according to all of the English dictionaries, it is drive-thru, the proper spelling, but the informal spelling is an accepted variation. I did appreciate one commenter saying that you can drive-thru the drive-thru, which really pleased me when I saw that written out. (laughs) Okay, so what should we know about going through a drive-thru? This information is from mashed.com and the initial etiquette tips are pretty obvious, like don't order McNuggets at a Wendy's or a Whopper at McDonald's. The second tip is not to order a large order in the drive-thru, that it really is better to go inside for larger and more complicated orders. Now, this next tip though really hit home. 
you aren't supposed to take the time to check your order while still at the window. I am so guilty of this. I check very quickly though, but I do check because my McChicken is supposed to be plain. Yes, plain. And I actually say bun chicken bun when I order it. I am a picky five-year-old. So the amount of times that it has not been plain have conditioned me to check before we drive away. Now, what about the double drive-through? These have been awesome from the business side. They can increase profits and entice more people into the drive-through lineup because it appears to be shorter. But there's often a moment of confusion or hesitation or frustration when both cars finish ordering at the same time and pull forward at the same time. If they go first, will they get my order? Well, most drive-throughs have figured out a way to ensure that this doesn't happen, and that is by taking a photo of your car. Yep. That's right. There's a photo of you in the drive-thru and they match it up with the car at their window. What if you want to add something to your order when you get to the window? If there are cars behind you, then it is best that you just don't. Or if you really need that hot fudge sundae, then you head on into the store and order it afterwards. It's also not polite to be on your phone when you pull up to the window and you should also avoid doing separate orders for everyone in the car. Speaking of rude, smoking while at the window is a no-no, and so is this next unspoken rule that I have never considered before. Turn off your windshield wipers when you're at the window as they splash water on the person handing you your food. Now enough with all that negativity. Next week we will look at the whole pay it forward trend and explore how employees really do feel about it. Ooh, my goodness, a cliffhanger tip of the week. <laughs> you know how I love those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But honestly, I panic in drive throughs <laughs> I do. I panic. Um, because I think for me personally, I would love the restaurants to put their menus way further back. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't read what they have to offer and then think about what I want and then order it in such a short span of time, let alone order it for other yeah. people, um, in, you know, in the car also. So yeah. I'm quite a sight, quite a comedic sight (laughs) when I'm in the drive-thru line panicking. Um, But yeah, really great tips, especially in our culture when it's so prevalent and especially when that was our only option for the last few years. So Yeah. yeah, really good tips. Modern technology can be thanked for many great advances that enhance our lives through speed and connectivity. But does that speed and connectivity come with a catch? It seems more and more that we are living in a world of increasing urgency, and it's definitely taking its toll. Right, Lindsay? Yes, it is. Um, I first stumbled across the term um, urgency culture when I saw a reel on Instagram Mm -hmm. by at I am Natalie Bright, and that's B-R-I-T-E. And in it, she talks about how urgency culture impacts our short-term thinking and how it can jeopardize our ability to consider the consequences of our actions. Now, she goes on to explain that urgency culture teaches us to sacrifice quality for the sake of quantity. And then Mm. Natalie Bright continues. She she packed a lot into this short reel. Um, (laughs) It's pretty mind-blowing. She explained that it is difficult to be thoughtful, present, inclusive, empathetic, and strategic when we are moving at a rapid pace pace. And she went on to say that in order to overcome urgency culture, we need to learn to trust ourselves again and trust our surroundings. We need to develop patience and remember that decisions have consequences and that we also need to be aware of what's influencing us. So her reel clearly stopped me in my tracks and I sent it to you right immediately, Michelle. We were like, we've got to look into this more. Yep. 
Yeah. And I think it was so intriguing what she was saying because it hit so many notes, right? Of what we ourselves might be experiencing, uh, what we see happening in our larger circles, larger culture even. And that it could all be stemming from this one concept of urgency culture, which is basically the idea that we're all available and on demand all the time. Uh, in a time sense, but also like uh, our thoughts and our opinions, our takes, whatever, uh, that this is actually quite pervasive. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know about other people. I know for me, this is the first time even hearing about it and that it was happening to me and I'd never even heard about it. I thought all those things was really intriguing and really made me want to look into it more with you. Yeah. And when we started looking into it, um, we definitely found a lot of the articles really looked at the work-life balance in terms of urgency culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now that's been a topic for many years now, the work-life balance, but it really does seem to have hit a breaking point like so many other things over the last mm-hmm. two years, uh, you know, due to the repeated lockdowns and long periods of working from home for so many people. In fact, where we are, a lot of the corporations and big office buildings in Toronto um, are the people are just going back to work now. And it's been two yeah. years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just like I think this week. So working from home has blurred the lines of work life and personal life. And we have also then replaced our human connection with social media, Zoom, etc. We've talked about like this kind of theme mm-hmm. a lot. This has caused a perfect storm of feeling the pressure to always be available, like you were saying. And coupled with people not forming proper connections. So we're always available, but we're not connecting with people in the right way. Mm -hmm. And so there's a a big disconnect there. We're also feeling rushed to constantly respond to an avalanche of communications, right? Every Mm -hmm. way that people can reach us is it's just, it's never been like that before. And not only can they reach us all these ways, but we also have the very devices that they can reach us on, like on us almost all the time. And it it does feel like an avalanche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. The insinuation that just because you received information that you then have to quickly form an opinion and make a decision and then relay that back in like real time, (laughs) it's really growing. It's really becoming quite pervasive in our lives. And I know we'll probably talk more later on what can be done about urgency culture and how we can kind of curb that in our lives. But one interesting thought that I came across was about setting boundaries. And I think it frames this conversation in a really good light in that it turns it back on us. So I was reading that sometimes, you know, when we're setting boundaries, we're waiting for other people to change their behavior towards us. Mm. But the problem is we can't control that. And so when we're talking about urgency culture and being available all the time, I guess it really has to start with us taking stock of how available we want to be and then making a game plan from there because Mm. this is the way the culture is going. And we can either be swept along with it or we can become aware of it like we're doing now and think about how we're going to make it work for us instead. Okay, so if you're not already feeling super stressed, uh, 
picture this now. Uh, and this won't be hard to do because this seems to happen every few days now. So, okay, there's some kind of a crisis, a humanitarian crisis, a natural, um, a national emergency, a natural disaster, etc. Something that has everyone talking. Now, a few short years ago, you would have stood around the water cooler at work and you would share a short conversation about it, express concerns, sympathy, etc. And you would move on. Now, the whole world is around a virtual water cooler and the pressure is on to add your thoughts in a very public and permanent way. Very different than 10 years ago. Now, this isn't just saying a few sentences and moving on. What you say can now be viewed by your college roommate's aunt who might know your boss and maybe knows your priest. And suddenly your views, views you might not have had um, the time to really become informed about or process are available for everyone to dissect. And there's a good chance that your views, your words that were just written in a moment, right? An emotional response Mm. often might be available for ever. And I'm saying this, even if you've deleted them, because I have a husband in law enforcement and I know that what you've deleted is available forever. So now let's complicate things even more (laughs) over the past (laughs) two years, (laughs) the seeds of suspicion, doubt, fear, misinformation have been spreading like wildfire, right? Unlike yeah. any other time in the end before. So between fake news and deep fakes, government media sources, bots on Twitter, intelligence personnel engaging unsuspecting people online, and the sensationalized 24-hour news cycle that makes money off of peddling fear and hysteria, no one really knows how to find out what is really going on. So then you add that to this sense of urgency that we were speaking about um, mm. and this pressure to speak up and speak out on these very, very complicated topics um, and the legitimate fear that you could say the wrong thing um, and that wrong thing could trigger cancel culture and that you could possibly lose your job and important relationships. My goodness, we're rapidly coming apart at the seams here, Michelle. Yeah, it's a no-win situation often, right? Yeah. And I was just going to say, just a second, be right back, just trying to scrub my entire existence <laughs> off the internet. You I can't. don't want anything to do with this thing. <laughs> I know. No. But now I can't. Yep, yep. <laughs> but yeah, so that this is the culture we've created for ourselves, right? Yeah. Just as the world, as humanity. And it's a terrifying place to be, especially if you are someone whose livelihood is linked to an online presence, right? Yes, yes. I think this idea of urgency culture is, oh my goodness, I was reading an article on Vox and she was talking about, well, the actual title is, do we actually really need influencers? And in this context, it was about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and their hot takes. And so this article is from a couple of years ago, but it was just talking about an anonymous beauty influencer who was just saying she got private messages from some of her followers who were disappointed that she hadn't spoken up on this topic yet. But she didn't really feel qualified to speak on it. But she caved and shared a news link to it eventually. And then she got private messages from people who were upset with her position. Um, The point of view that was insinuated, I guess, from the article she shared. Uh, Or they were disappointed because the media can't be trusted. Or that wasn't a source they felt was a credible source. And she was just like, but I'm a beauty blogger. (laughs) Like, I just want to talk about hair or fashion or makeup or whatever. I I don't know who it was. 
And so, yeah, just this idea that we've created a no-win culture, like at least online, where you can not only never feel like you're saying the right thing totally, yeah, but that it could come back to bite you in really real ramifications. Well, yeah, it, the truth is that this pressure to speak up is riddled with landmines, landmines that you don't know you're walking over, right? Because the rules change every mm-hmm. day. They really do. So the minute an influencer posts anything about anything, right? So like you were saying, like she's just Mm -hmm. a beauty influencer. And so she's posting about what is normal to her, what she set out to do in her online space. Uh, Their their comment boxes are flooded. I watch it all the time with people demanding that they do speak out. But yeah, when they do, they're lambasted for either trusting the mainstream media story or for following conspiracy theories. (laughs) Like there's a bloodlust and I'm not being overdramatic here. It feels like a bloodlust that cannot be satisfied. And it is a horrifying precedent to set. Yeah, it is. And why I think it's important to bring that aspect of it up too is because I think when we're talking about urgency culture, we're taking a lot of the perspective of when it happens to us, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we're feeling pressured to do things too fast or without giving ourselves space and time to think. But that we are also part of a culture that feeds into it, too, as consumers. Yes. And so yes. we could help the situation by not contributing to someone else's sense of urgency culture, too. Yes. And I don't know if there's ever been such a blurring of lines between consumer and presenter or influencer or reporter um, and news watcher and all those different things. We are like, um, there's pressure to be all of them all at the same time. And we are all of them to a certain extent at certain points. And the internet has really exacerbated that. There's a really great quote, again, from that article on Vox, and and it was written by Rebecca Jennings. And she says, and I quote, but I don't know that the demand for influencers to speak out on complex political issues is entirely about the issues themselves. It feels like more of a test. Am I, as a fan, justified Mm -hmm. in having this parasocial relationship with you? Who are you anyways? Should I be uncomfortable with how much attention we're all giving you? And, end quote. And first of all, the word parasocial really jumped out at me. I've never heard that word before. And it's like what you're talking about, mm. about like, it, it. I didn't look it up, but to me, it means like having social contact that is outside of the norm social contact. So we think we're social with these mm. influencers, um, but we're not, right? It's a fake kind of social. Yeah. It is outside normal, like social rules and norms. And you're right. So thinking about how are we contributing to their stress? How, uh, how are we in relation to them? I think this is a really interesting point because who we follow, we think of as a reflection of our own views. And so when they don't totally line up, (laughs) we have set that Mm. expectation. They haven't. And so then we think, okay, wait, if they think differently than I do in this one case, are people going to then associate me with them because I've shared things that they've shared instead of just having proper conversations. So it's this parasocial relationship that is skewed from the very beginning. (laughs) Again, that you just, Mm -hmm. it's a lose, lose okay so clearly we're very emotional about this we're very invested in this conversation we have a lot to talk about today um 
But we want to examine how urgency culture makes us feel like we have to say something about everything. And if we don't, we are part of the problem, whatever the problem is this week or today. Mm -hmm. Um, We will look at what is contributing to this sense of urgency and we will attempt to debunk the mindset that silence is a sign of either cowardice or a sign of support of the thing that everyone seems to be against at that moment. We will also look at the virtue of prudence, what it is and how we can grow in it. You know what? It's interesting about urgency culture. We kind of went off on that tangent about how it affects bigger influencers, Mm -hmm. right? And people with careers um, where they're speaking regularly, but urgency culture can influence us or impact us in our homes and in our day-to-day lives, which is what we found so interesting because even for us personally, we have experienced urgency culture, right? Oh, yeah. And it's something you and I have talked about, like just as friends since the very beginning of all of this over the last two years is what do we Mm -hmm. say? How much do we say? Do we not say it? Do we say something else? And you add that to my natural temperament is to weigh in on everything. Long before social media, I was an eight-year-old that weighed in on everything and a 12-year-old that weighed in on everything. <laughs> so then you give somebody like me uh, social media and a chance to say it to more people. And it's a it's a very natural thing for me, right? I love deep conversations. I think you call them campfire conversations. Oh, yes. All the best conversations happen at around 11 yes. p.m. around a yes. campfire. Yes. And it's like, so <laughs> the thing is, we have to remember with those, you're sitting together, you're sitting with close friends, you're sitting yeah. all together. You've maybe had a couple glasses of wine. Everyone's pretty relaxed. The atmosphere is open to people speaking off the cuff to perhaps yes. making mistakes. It is a different atmosphere, but it's like, I think I want to have those conversations at like 10 in the morning on a Tuesday with people on Instagram. <laughs> like I yes. think I, and you can't, you can't transfer that same energy into these other platforms. But that is my natural inclination. Um, So I do feel that sense of urgency in that sense where I want to have those same connections that you might have at a campfire, um, but online and you just can't. So while in some ways, social media has been an excellent outlet for like my creative side, um, my love of connection, it's also provided this great opportunity um, to help me learn to pause (laughs) before I post, um, you know, before I comment on things, we'll talk more about that later with prudence. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I definitely feel it because it's just part of who I am naturally. And then you add in the availability of social media and then everything that's happening in the world. And it's hard for me to not (laughs) feel a sense of urgency. Do you know what is so interesting is that we talk about how often we can approach the same topic and Mm -hmm. even like you and I can have the same opinion on it Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of cases, but we approach it from different angles Mm -hmm. based on our personalities. And this is so true based on what you were saying for urgency culture and the way I have noticed it. Um, from a place of not generally being inclined to jump in quickly. Yes, yes. <laughs> into yep. conversations online, right? So, yeah, I do tend to like to think about things and mull over them for a while before I come back with a response. That's my knee jerk tendency. And so, urgency culture takes on a different feel for me. And often it, it results in guilt, mm. right? Like, I see everyone else's rapid responses. And I think, like, Uh, am I a bad person (laughs) if I decide I want to hold off or even if I ultimately decide I don't want to comment on this on social media. 
Yeah. Um, it's not generally something I feel in real life. I have no problem talking to people in real life off the cuff. Yep. But yeah, when it comes to posting, it's a different feel. And I do feel um, that in a different way, how, you know, you're worried you're not as caring as the next person or right. that you're not caring enough about a specific in uh, issue. And I find it interesting how a sense of urgency can impact us from both ends of the spectrum. I think, okay, two points. I think that that is so mm -hmm. fascinating because even though you can rationalize with yourself and say, just because someone else is posted doesn't mean they're actually caring. And, and they, mm -hmm. um, that article, this Vox article addresses that too. Um, it, it, when it talks about performative, um, allyship, oh, yes. performative yes. allyship, here's the quote. Um, so it's a quote from another thing um, that they quoted from okay. Habiba Kaska, who writes in the independent quote, forcing a group of people who haven't expressed an interest in social issues to post political content can encourage performative allyship. If influencers are only posting political content because they've been told to, it means they're posting out of obligation rather than desire, which is mm. performative, end quote. And so yeah. even though somebody like you who might be in them feeling that guilt, and then you could say to yourself, well, you know, I, it, just because other people are posting doesn't actually mean that they care. It's still hard to not feel those feelings yes. that you're feeling. <laughs> And I think mm -hmm. one of the greatest benefits of our friendship and even our profess professional relationship doing this podcast together and having, um, although, like you said, a lot of shared values and opinions, but very mm -hmm. different approaches <laughs> yeah. is I think you've helped me pull back and pause for a minute. I've learned a lot of that from you and perhaps mm -hmm. I've helped you step forward a little bit sometimes. And yes. and that's one of the benefits <laughs> of real life friendships, right? <laughs> oh is my that goodness. we're learning we how to yeah, we did yeah. it. We solved it. <laughs> <laughs> we have figured it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I know that I have learned a lot from you about like I called you mm. and said, should I do this? And you're like, um, maybe in your gentlest Michelle way, <laughs> maybe just give it a day or so. And you've called me and you've said, should I say something on this? Right. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, you could say it like this. And so we've definitely oh, so been trying good. to help each other. <laughs> in this yeah. Sense. Yeah. And, and that is like what we were saying, I think like en masse, that's probably how it happened yeah. in the past, right? Yes, and, right. Actual yeah. real life relationships. Yeah. So this is a quite a recent phenomenon where we are, have to draw all these things, a, a very social context from a very isolated place. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about this whole silence, the making the decision to not say something um, mm -hmm. and how it isn't always a sign of cowardice. Um, when I first started looking into this, a very powerful thing um, came up. And this is when um, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, best-selling author, professor, political activist, and Holocaust survivor, um, Elie Wiesel, um, talked about the silence he even feels about discussing the Holocaust and that mm. it can be really hard to find the correct words to talk about something as serious as that. And he said that maybe the best way to discuss the Holocaust or to convey the seriousness of that is to find the best actor ever and have him sit on the most important stage in the world and have him just sit in silence. That sometimes that silence is the most powerful statement. And mm. I thought about that and I thought, yeah, silence isn't always the absence of thought. Like just because we're silent right. doesn't mean the person isn't thinking and it isn't a lack of caring or a mm -hmm. lack of compassion um, that it can be an opportunity to reflect, to study more and to remember in that case, especially with the um, Holocaust, an, an act of remembrance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that point um, that silence can be undertaken out of humility. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, to say like, you know what? I actually don't know enough about yeah. this to comment right now um, that you can defer in the meantime to experts <laughs> yeah. or to to other people who, who are qualified or who are ready uh, with their opinion and statement in that situation. And you can watch them do it and listen to them speak. And it doesn't mean willful ignorance on your right. part, like what you're yes. saying, right? And in fact, uh, in some situations, it may indicate probably a greater desire to understand the actual problem. And it will make you more intentional in your subsequent action or response if it ever becomes necessary or appropriate to do so. Um, So I like that reminder that uh, for both ourselves and for people, if we're tempted to think like, well, why isn't so-and-so saying something? um, That's not a cop-out in either situation. And that's really important to remember. So, well, where did this idea come from that being silent automatically places you on the side of the oppressor? Well, one person that really said this and said this one quote was um, Anglican clergyman Desmond Tutu. I think he, when did he pass away mm. last year? Just recently, oh, actually. It was recent. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember, though. Um, because he lived in South Africa. He was known a lot for speaking about peace. Um, and he said this this quote that you see often misquoted, uh, but he's the one who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a very powerful statement, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it jumps out at us um, that it's very clear who's in the wrong in that example he gives. It's very clear (laughs) that the elephant is the oppressor Mm -hmm. and that the mouse is the oppressed. Um, And if you were standing there watching that, I mean, yeah, of course, it would be your duty to speak up. Now, this quote was said prior to 1986. I couldn't find the exact time. Um, But the truth is a lot has changed since even Mm. that period, right? And it's becoming increasingly harder to determine what is truth, what is fiction, is this propaganda? Is it a conspiracy theory? Is it fake news? Who's getting paid to say this? We Mm. cannot possibly determine the answer to all these questions in a split second. And I think that the follow-up question that is important for us to try to consider is, why is it getting harder to figure out truth? Um, mm-hmm. It's not—it's never been cut and dry, but I think it's important to try to figure out why it's harder to determine truth right now, and why it's harder to like figure out who the good guy is versus the bad guy. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. That's probably a whole other topic yes, <laughs> we could yes. do. Like, what is truth? Listen, that's a that's a question that's been asked for most of history, yeah. right? Isn't that what Pontius Pilate said to Jesus? Yes. Um, at his trial, what is truth? What yes. is truth? Um, how do you know what is true? Um, uh, so that is a very important distinction to make. But I just wanted to go back for a second to the the example um that Desmond Tutu pointed out with the elephant and the mouse. Mm-hmm. That I think is really important to remember, too, is that um, in that context of action, right, um, that doesn't necessarily exclusively mean making a statement or having a hot take or (laughs) any of those things, a hot take, right? Um, I, I think there's a big distinction. Like urgency actually isn't bad. Urgency has a place and we need to be urgent about certain things. If you're standing somewhere physically Mm -hmm. watching an injustice take place and it's obvious, then yes, you have to discern in that moment, whether you're going to step in. And I, I want to believe, and I think I'm 
right to say that most people still today would feel compelled to do something yes. and would. Yep. If that was the case, right? That is urgent. You you should take urgent action there. And I think we still would. What is troubling about this context of urgency is that it's still from afar on on issues that we don't necessarily have immediate impact in. And conversely, too, we think that if we just say the words, the problem will magically go away or we've done our bit. Um, Walk away now. So there are two different kinds of things there. And I I think that that's a good reminder to have, too, that urgency does have its place and that I think most of us, by and large, in real life are still attuned to that, too. And I think another point, too, in that is that we sometimes will then assign a belief that someone who isn't speaking out online would not also then do something in person. Like you've already categorized them think, well, if you didn't say anything in this circumstance, you wouldn't do it in person. And I actually agree with you. I still have a lot of hope and optimism in people and that Mm -hmm. I agree. I think the vast majority of people would do something in person. And so trying to lump them all together just because they didn't say something online as somebody who wouldn't do the right thing in, in a real urgent situation. Situation, right because there's yeah. this false sense of urgency um that's mm-hmm. being created online it's just it's so much there's so many factors here but i think what's happened is so many people are just believing that their friends who are staying silent online um aren't the type of people that would do the right thing when the right thing mm-hmm. is right in front of them because it is a lot harder to determine that um online um mm-hmm. so then i think each situation is a judgment call and and, and you need to make Mm -hmm. that judgment call every single time. There was an interview with Rabbi Cutler in the Canadian Jewish News, and he suggests that we ask ourselves these three questions when we make that judgment call, when we have to decide if we're going to be silent or speak up. And Mm -hmm. the first question is, will my voice make a difference? Mm -hmm. Second question is, does engaging this time mean that I will be more or less effective next time? And the third one is, how will I see myself in 20 years if I don't speak up? Um, I think that those are three awesome questions. Like I might print them out and hopefully yeah. have them near me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, right. And I mm-hmm. think as well, I would add a fourth um, and it's how will my speaking out affect those closest to me, whether it be positively yes. or negatively, we aren't an island, right? What I say can impact my husband's job, can impact my kids at school. Um, and so we need to take all of that into consideration. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Do you know what is uh, interesting? I came across this also on Instagram, this clip from Simon Sinek, uh, the author of Start With Why. Our, mm-hmm. So I guess right. he's joining the ranks of Kendra Tierney <laughs> and Jocko Willink yes. <laughs> as unofficial sponsor of our podcast because he yep. keeps coming up. But in this very short clip, he talks about um, he's talking about learning how to listen and in the context of business. Right. But he says that the skill to remain silent until everyone has spoken, it actually is important to cultivate. And it does two things. Mm. First, it gives others the feeling like they have been heard. Mm. And then second, you have the benefit of hearing what everyone else thinks before you render your opinion. Right. And so he says in that context, the only thing you're allowed to do while you're listening is to ask questions so that Mm. you can understand more clearly he concedes that this is not an easy thing to do, but again, it's impo- an important skill to practice. 
And even though it was in the context of business, I actually think it has further applications to this outside the boardroom. Because I think what you were saying too, I think it's important when we're silent, it doesn't necessarily change what our opinion is necessarily mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. our thoughts are to hear other people first, but it would probably impact our tone, our yes. presentation, um, and what we actually decide to say or exclude in our response, right? And the reason why I think that it may be essential to do this is because ultimately, the way I see one way of silence being useful in counteracting urgency culture is because it has the potential to preserve relationships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that has to be a high priority for us culturally and societally and just as humans. Like if what you want to say won't have an actual effect on the subject at hand and it may contribute to severing the relationship. Yep. I think there could be very few, if any, situations where speaking, especially off the cuff, could be considered wise or loving, even if it feels like the opposite to remain silent. Like, even if you feel guilty or you feel like you should speak out, if you if saying something wouldn't change the situation, like what you're saying, and it might cause someone to walk away, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Is that a risk that... Uh, w- that we're willing to undertake. And that's what urgency culture is kind of forcing our hand to do. Okay. You are saying so much in that. Okay. Let me backtrack. So the first thing I'm hearing there, no, this is incredible. The first thing I'm hearing, because so many of our episodes are uh, like, it's an um, a, an awakening, a gradual awakening within me of mistakes I've made in my life. And I'm, I'm having these in real time with you guys. Cause one of the things, so for, mm. so if you would have said this to me a couple of years ago, that listen and letting everyone else speak first and hearing what they say and then speaking to me again, that would have been a sign of weakness. That would have been, mm. I would have seen that person as somebody who needed to just have their thoughts formed by everybody else, that it wasn't an original thought in their head that they needed, that that was weakness to me. But my Mm. goodness, I'm just, I'm so glad that I'm starting to really understand that it's not weakness at all Mm -hmm. to not speak so quickly to really take in all that information. And that the key thing that you said there to me is that you might not change what you were going to say, but that your tone will be different. I need that reminder because Mm. I can bulldoze people with my tone. I it's it's very natural for me to do that. And so yeah, I, I might have already had my thoughts formed after doing my research and you know the, like having a really clear idea of what I want to say, but to mm-hmm. have this opportunity to hear people and then change how I might say it, that is a game changer, Michelle. Like mm-hmm. I'm so glad to just hear that. And then you're right. It all comes down to relationships. I have so much in my notes here about why preserving relationships is the most important thing to me yes. and why you and I have over and over again talked about not speaking up on some things because relationships are more important to us. Um, both mm-hmm. of us have made that decision in our own lives. Right. And yeah. so whatever is happening right now, no matter how consequential it seems or how big or how how critical this sense of urgency, it is temporary. Our Mm -hmm. relationships with people are going to go on long beyond that. And the things that matter to you and I, our mission of spreading the gospel of teaching about Jesus Christ, that is eternal. That's talking about eternal life. And, and if, if I've, damage those relationships or if people don't feel that they can trust me or that I'm not hearing them. And I want to talk to them about what to me is the most important thing. And that is eternal life. Um, They're not going to talk to me about that later when all of the things that are happening right now are done. And so 
This is something that I think you and I kept encouraging in each other, reminding each other of as the big picture view. So even though that sense of urgency is going, say it, say it, say it now, you have to speak on this. Um, yeah, the bigger, the other angel or the angel on the other side is like big picture. You mm-hmm. don't have to speak right now. You can slow down that there are the big picture here is your relationship with people. Yes. Yeah. It's so important. It's so key. And I guess since I've already mentioned her, I'll just bring Kendra Tierney up again (laughs) because (laughs) she actually, I think she did have an actual blog post expressing that because I guess even her, like being Mm -hmm. an influencer in the Catholic Mm -hmm. world, um, people wanted to know her thoughts, like um, for her to make a statement of where she stood on certain things. And I remember reading why she wasn't going to do that. And her answer was exactly what you just said and how I feel too. And that for her, the reason why she's on here <laughs> on the internet is for a very specific message and purpose, right? And she wants for people of all differing opinions to still be able to access what she yes. actually wants to say. Yes. And so she's going to stick with that. And uh, I I respected that. And I loved that she said that because I, I feel similarly too, that there are actually very few opinion-based conversations where I feel like I have to win it. Mm-hmm. I would rather, and I know that there are some some conversations I've had with people where I just stop talking, like right. in the middle of it. And I sitting there, I hope... I'm hoping in my mind that they're not taking it the wrong way, <laughs> mm. that I've just stopped. But I can see that it's starting to get emotional or heated or that they're they're upset. And yeah. I'm like, this isn't worth it. It's not worth it. I'm, I'm totally fine leaving it there um, and leave it at that. Right. And to be honest, as the person who's usually on the other side of that, I'm a right fighter. We've talked about this before. Um, yeah. I've come really far on this, but I am as Dr. Phil, an other unofficial <laughs> member of our <laughs> podcast community. That's true. Yes. Our Which... imaginary board of directors. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's so funny because you guys need to know I have not watched a Dr. Phil episode in like 15 years. But there's a few things he said to like back then mm. that really stuck with me. And one of them was about being a right fighter. That's the only reason you're fighting is to prove that you're right you that it doesn't think the facts don't even matter to you just want to be the right mm. one and that's very mm-hmm. much who I am and um, I'm trying to overcome it so I'm just really thankful that I kind of started to recognize that within myself before all of this happened mm. <laughs> and I've been able to try to overcome that and I want people to know that if you're more like me like you can really work to overcome these things. The the relationship does have to be the, the most important thing here. Um, there was another quote that has been tossed around a lot lately in terms of all this, and it's by Dr. Martin Luther um, King Jr. And it says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And then he said another time, um, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. I've seen this one a lot mm. lately, but I think again, what jumps out at me here is the friends part, not the silence, the friends part. And I think that there is a distinction between what we feel like we need to post on social media versus connecting with our real life friends. And you said it, Michelle, you might not post on social media, but you'll have these conversations with your friends, right? Sure. So, um, and again, I think if people 
don't know that. And they only think, well, this person isn't commenting on that. They might not understand that you're doing the real work of actually building the relationships and saying to your friends, how do you feel about this? Or um, Mm -hmm. how, how, you know, how has something I've said made you feel like that is the real duty here. So it's easy to share that quote um, and just go Mm -hmm. your silence, but not realizing that, you know, the friendship part is what matters and that a lot of people are doing the real work of connecting with their friends behind the scenes. Hmm. Yeah. And building that relationship, because actually going back to that campfire that we were talking yes. about, how the best conversations happen at 11 p.m. Yep. I think the reason why they do is because you've spent a few hours yes. of building that connection again. You know what yes. I mean? And that that's essentially what we're saying, too, is that those conversations are can actually be very fruitful, even if yep. you have a difference of opinions, right? They can serve to strengthen relationships. They can open people's minds to different, our own minds to different perspectives we hadn't thought of before. Perhaps in the process of the conversation, you come up with a tangible idea of something you can take on or you together can take on in your communities. Like that's where the fruit happens and it takes place but it can only really happen with people you've had a connection with otherwise to go to the bible right saint paul says like without love you're just a clanging gong we're just another noise in a world of noise and it's it's something to be aware of it's not that speaking out isn't it is a bad thing but I think checking our motivations often and not getting swept swept away, never get swept away by yes. emotion or trend. Um, that's where the crux is. Can I just tell you that quote has been following yeah. me around all week? If I hear <laughs> clanging gong <laughs> or banging cymbals, <laughs> we're dying. So, I'm like, God's so clearly funny. saying to yeah. me, Lindsay. <laughs> Stop being a clanging gong slash banging cymbals. I'm like, okay. So what we're ultimately talking about here is prudence and not a word that is often used in 2022 outside of Catholic Mm -hmm. circles. Um, Maybe it's used in non-Catholic Christian circles, but um, it's not a name. You usually name your daughter anymore. There's probably a lot of prudences (laughs) back in the 1920s. Um, But yeah, it's not a common uh, verbiage. Um, mm-hmm. But prudence is one of the cardinal virtues, the four cardinal virtues in the Catholic Church. And it's something that we talk about a lot just as friends and we try to develop mm-hmm. within ourselves, but we haven't talked so much about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that an actual saying of like, prudence is a virtue? Um, I think it's patience as a virtue. Oh. <laughs> That quote board game that we have talked about so many times, <laughs> where so we create that right? game, where we you are you've already won it so many times, <laughs> mixing quotes. Whatever, prudence is a virtue too. It is a virtue. You are correct. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so now that we're all clear that prudence is also a virtue in addition to patience, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's the virtue that. <laughs> um. Basically, it allows us to apply right reason to a particular Mm -hmm. action, right? And it helps us to judge a particular situation at hand. And that's kind of what we're talking about. What urgency culture doesn't allow us to have room for anymore is to apply that right reason to a judgment and, and to arrive at it. 
So something that Thomas St. Thomas Aquinas says too about prudence is that it's the virtue that allows us to choose the means to an end and mm. that it's, it presupposes a good end. So mm. when you're, isn't that great? We always say like, that's a means to an end, but I never that's think right. about like that we control <laughs> the mean. I'm just like, oh, you, I just use that to write off things. Oh, he used that as a means to an end. But we, yeah, we can actually be deliberate yes. about creating those means. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> and why I loved this. And I think one thing that linked the two things, urgency, culture, and prudence to me in my mind is this a far-reaching approach to the virtue mm. of prudence versus mm. what that initial Instagram video that we based this whole episode on was talking about it's short-sighted. Urgency yeah. culture is short-sighted. And also presupposing a good end. I, mm. I found that very yes. hopeful, yes. right? If you're looking far ahead of you and you're looking at the best possible outcome, then prudence is going to be what helps you form that game plan and to take those specific steps to get to that end. It's deliberate. You can be deliberate both about hoping for the good end and then using prudence to choose the means to get there. And I love that um, so often when we talk about you know, surrender and faith and everything like what you were saying, sometimes we take that as a weakness. Mm -hmm. But when we dig a little bit deeper, Mm -hmm. it actually gives us so many more tools and so much more influence over uh, what we choose to do in our lives than we originally thought. Which just feels so much more empowering than just responding emotionally to a sense of urgency. Like I always think, oh, well, I had something to say on that. So I like, and then pat myself on the back. But in truth, this other way of being prudent, of biding your time, of making decisions that affect a good outcome, my goodness, that's so much more powerful to me Mm -hmm. if it's all about power. I'm still (laughs) in me. Um, (laughs) um, In the the long term, um, I looked to the catechism of the Catholic Church to Mm -hmm. define prudence. And one section says, and this is what I love because it really clears up everything we're trying to say here. It says, um, it is not to be confused with timidity or fear, Mm. nor with duplicity or dissimulation. I don't know what that word means, but it sounds good. Uh, It says it is called the origa virtutum, uh, which is the charioteer of the virtues. It guides the other virtues by setting rule and measure. It is prudence that immediately guides the judgment of conscience. The prudent man determines and directs his conduct in accordance with this judgment. With the help of this virtue, we apply moral principles to particular cases without error and overcome doubts about the good to achieve and the evil to avoid. Wow. Like, that's just it. That, that sums mm. up everything we <laughs> wish we could say. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There is so much in the in the catechism about mm-hmm. prudence. Oh, my gosh. And you're right. I think it all sums it up. And one thing in particular, then, that it's saying about prudence it insinuates that you're a person that thinks about the consequences of your actions, yes, right? It says yes. that in there, right? Yep. And again, it it is the answer to what that initial Instagram yes, post that's what I was, was just saying, too. right? Yes, yes, it goes right back to her reel. Yes. Yep, exactly. That urgency culture jeopardizes, I think she says it jeopardizes our ability to consider the consequences of our actions mm-hmm. because it's a short-term thinking. And yep. so- I love putting this together because prudence is the antithesis. And I love that, especially as Christians, we're never abandoned. So even when you feel alone or like isolated or helpless, 
we do still have always at the ready so many of these tools and virtues, these graces that are given to us to exactly what you said, to empower us and to inspire us to continue on and to keep going in, in the righteous path. Yes. And if I'm looking again at this definition from the catechism and it says again, it is prudence that immediately guides the judgment of conscience. Well, that statement alone, that sentence immediately, the word is there, right? Um, A sense of urgency, Mm. but prudence in that sense to me is like the quick putting on of the brakes (laughs) before you could crash into a wall or not crash into a wall. Like it's this, it's this (laughs) breath. It's this moment of stopping. That is wisdom right? Mm -hmm. That isn't being overly cautious. That isn't being weak. It is this putting on the brakes so that you can then form a judgment of conscience that cannot happen in a split second. That cannot happen in five minutes. (laughs) Like it says here, we have to apply moral principles to particular cases without error. I mean, that (laughs) takes time to sort through, right? So Mm -hmm. I think just shirking off this sense of urgency, this urgency culture is the best possible thing we could do right now. Um, You don't need to fall into it. Like I'm saying this to myself, you don't from this moment on, you can go, nope, not right now. I'm not going to accept that Uh, because it is just not wise in any sense. Um, You cannot possibly um, make a proper decision in with that, that right over your shoulder, that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no room in urgency culture no, for the no. virtue of prudence. And so those things are too, uh, they're exclusive from one another, um, which is, which is fascinating. It is the proverbial fork in the road. Yes, <laughs> right. And you yep. have to choose one of the roads. I think even describing it in such a clear cut way visually that yep. helps as well. Like you yep. have a very clear decision to make. This is one of the few things that is not muddy in our yes. <laughs> in our current culture right now. And that is helpful to have yeah. uh, at least a few things that are so clear cut still. Yes. So I actually found an episode on prudence in that uh, Jose Maria Institute mm. podcast that you recommended yep. last week. And so I was listening to it. And this was one of the ways, too, that I thought really... Uh, separated urgency culture from prudence being long-term versus the urgent short-term. The priest was outlining the four parts of prudence that one should follow. And I found this really helpful because it's one thing to just say like, well, just be prudent. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Um, But he was actually saying, you know, it's actually something that you have to work on and that like it's actually not intrinsic to us when we're born to be born with prudence. So that's hopeful. It's just something that we can work on. Um, The first thing he said to do was you have to gather information and you have to ask for advice. So here we see humility playing a big Mm -hmm. part that perhaps, you know, I don't have all the answers here that we have to listen. We have to take in information. It requires us not to speak. So, you know, throwing it back to the silence conversation we had just now. Uh, But the interesting thing is St. Thomas Aquinas actually says, if we don't do this first step, then it's, it's a defect of our Mm. character. Um, Because then we're increasing the stakes of our decision. Our choices become more fraught. They're more risky of being bad ones. Um, If we don't know all the, all the sides, we haven't done our due diligence to even try to seek to see the other sides. 
Yeah. So the next step to prudence is then to analyze and judge what you have heard and what you have learned. Mm -hmm. And the priest was saying this requires a well-trained mind. And I actually thought this was an interesting point to pause because this is a thought I've been having with so many of the current issues we're facing right now, that so many of them require a deep knowledge and experience in fields that so many of us lack um, because either, you know, we don't specialize in it ourselves or because even our foundational education is lacking in certain areas. So yeah, for example, like some of the issues surrounding COVID these past two years, when you strip it all back, it could be more of a a philosophical conversation or ethical conversation. And how many of us have an... (laughs) even a basic background in philosophy anymore, right? Um, We used to as a society, but we don't really en masse anymore. So yeah, a well-trained mind, how can we even begin um, to debate? It's an interesting concept, but I digress. Back to the second step. Um, This is where we start to think and make connections and have realizations. And again, if we don't do this step, St. Thomas Aquinas cautions, that we could fall into the defect of thoughtlessness when we're not Mm. applying right reason, either uh, due to laziness or if we don't want to do the work of thinking through the consequences of our actions. This is St. Thomas Aquinas. It's amazing. (sighs) Yes. Yeah. And so the third step is where the action finally happens (laughs) and action is called for. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, it took a lot of time to get here. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, did, yeah. <laughs> and so this is where I was like, oh my gosh, now it's action. Now you've judged the situation. You've sought the counsel. You have analyzed the information. And now we have a better idea of if there's something I can do and how to then do it. Then the priest says it's important that you do, in fact, do the thing <laughs> after all that. But I think it's really reasonable here to consider that there may sometimes be nothing for you to do about a situation except to pray, which Mm -hmm. is always the best and should be our first recourse anyway. Um, But you may, after learning and thinking about a situation that you're not in a position to like do direct action or you don't know enough to speak eloquently or authoritatively on a situation. And I think in humility, to be able to accept that and to be prudently quiet is actually virtuous, like what we've talked about before. Yeah. So the word discerned there, right? Thoughtful, prayed about, consulted scripture. These are, these are actions. Even if the decision then is to be silent, it is an action that was made Mm. thoughtfully. It's still, it's still, you're you're doing the action of making that decision to be silent. It isn't just, um, yeah, you've fallen back on it because you don't know what to say. You have reached that point where you've made that decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually the fourth step is just a continuation of that action, right? Mm -hmm. And the final step of prudence, um, according to St. Thomas Aquinas is to actually remain open then open to new information. Uh, as it comes, or a change in the situation, and to accept that if that happens, then we just go back to step one, and we begin gathering new information again. So prudence is actually quite circular, or cyclical, too. And I think that's helpful, because if we're intentional about cultivating prudence uh, in our lives, especially in an attempt to ward off urgency culture, then it automatically forces us to slow down 
And we're constantly reminding ourselves to stop and think through a situation like this and that we actually can't participate in urgency culture. Ironically, there's just no time to (laughs) if you're going to be practicing (laughs) the virtue of prudence. (laughs) We can always count on solid counsel from St. Thomas Aquinas. The takeaway here is that the only sense of urgency that we should feel is to love one another, to think first of how we can best extend grace and mercy to someone else, how we can best seek to understand and feel compassion for each other. And if this is how we prioritize our response to whatever current crisis is happening, then it matters not where we get our news from. It can be fake news, it can be biased or wrong, but when we make the decision to pause and take a moment first, when we seek to apply moral principles through prudence, we can push back against the culture of urgency that makes it feel like everyone has something to say and no one is actually listening. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, you and I have already chatted about this, but the thing I'm loving this week is the Netflix-produced show Lost in Space. Now, I believe I already shared this show as Mm -hmm. what I'm loving Mm -hmm. this week a year or two ago, but that was the last time there was a new season. Um, I also want to point out that we did get rid of Netflix a year and a half ago, because I know people will remember that, Um, but we made the family decision to reactivate our account um, just for a limited period of time because it's the only place to watch this show, and the final season was finally released, and the show means so much to our family. Okay, so it's been a very long time since we watched the first two seasons, and so I don't totally remember uh, what those were like, but we just binged the final season, which is season three, and it wraps up the whole series, and we loved it. Now, you have to take this show for what it is. It is a nonstop adventure that isn't realistic or believable at all. You really have to just no. suspend your disbelief, right? <laughs> I know, right? We're like lost in space. And they would do things and Jason would be like, okay. well, that's not possible. I'm like, none of it's possible. <laughs> I love like, it. I'm oh like, my gosh. So <laughs> So all of it's to say you have to suspend your disbelief um, and just go along for the ride, right? What else is really particularly noticeable in this season is they slip into a lot of like heavy dialogue parenting moments that are like Danny Tanner full house lecture (laughs) moments, but it's like during Mm -hmm. intense alien attacks and you're like, I don't think that they'd be having this moment right now. So that can be a bit (laughs) funny. Again, just roll with it. Because it's mm-hmm, a really mm-hmm. good show. Um, okay, what I do love about it is that, again, and I said this the first time when I talked about the show, but the mother and the father have unique skills and talents and education. They don't try to overshadow the other one. Um, mm. They lift each other up and they work very, very well as a team. And then each of the three kids who are now young adults um, are discovering their own gifts and their talents and how they can use them to serve other people. Um, I really love that. Not No one is trying to overshadow anyone else um and i loved particularly that they don't make the father look like an idiot which is a common theme in so many shows right now and then the mother has to pick up all the pieces they're both strong and mm. it's just that's one of my favorite things about watching this as a family there is a big lesson in that um there's almost no bad language at all i think it said ass one time um And there's a good enough amount of suspense that it keeps my teenagers on the couch watching the show with us. And that is what matters to me. It's family time. Um, And our our family really enjoyed 
this time with the Robinson family. Uh, and fun fact, you might have already known this. I might have told you this, but for everyone else, the dad is played by Toby Stevens, and he is the real-life son mm. of Dame Maggie Smith, who everyone knows as the Dowager Countess from Downton Abbey or as Professor McGonagall in the Harry Potter films. So <laughs> it's wild seeing him because at moments he looks a lot like his mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Which means that Maggie Smith is back on Earth wondering what's happening to her grandkids. <laughs> Absolutely, she is. Oh my now, goodness. oh my goodness, a whole other element. So Lost in Space, I do recommend it for families with kids who are a bit older. It is truly the epitome of a family show. So what have you been loving this week? So what I'm loving is another Lindsay Recommends item <laughs> this week. <laughs> And I joked with you recently, Lindsay, that our What We're Loving segments have kind of backed up for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so my to watch, to read, to listen to lists have really grown over the last few years. And I've yeah. been tackling some of your great recommendations lately. And so I have just watched, finally, the All or Nothing documentary of the story of Sister Claire Crockett. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm like, what yeah. did I recommend? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm sitting here thinking, you did recommend this, yes, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, you yeah. did. <laughs> yes. So it's a documentary about the life of Sister Claire Crockett. She was a former actress and a Catholic nun from Northern Ireland. And her story is so inspiring. So I loved it from like the stories of from her childhood to her ambitions and the show business um, to how God's grace ultimately directed her in such a beautiful way to the religious life. It's a great documentary. And so Sister Claire sadly passed away in an earthquake while serving with her order in Ecuador when she was only 34 years old. I think it was 2016. Yeah. So it's very recent. Um, but what I love about her and in watching this documentary is seeing the absolute joy that comes from a life totally surrendered yes. to God and totally open to what he has planned. Um, that she had hoped to be an actress and had immense talent in that area, um, but that she found fulfillment in these gifts in her vocation as a nun, like I, I think that's one aspect that really stuck with me after watching this documentary, um, that it was so clear how those aspects of her personality, like the humor, the outgoingness, um, they're what would have made her a great actress, but they're also what ended up making her a fulfilled nun, like in her place in life. So uh, it was just a good reminder to me to watch it. It was the inspiration that I needed. And my daughters also watched it with mm -hmm. me and they loved it. Um, and I'm surprised about how much of Sister Claire's story has stuck with them too. Um, both girls, uh, their ages are five and 10, uh, have commented randomly since we watched it last week on some aspect of Sister's life or something she said in a clip, like it really stuck with them too. So again, the documentary is called All or Nothing, and you can watch it for free on YouTube, and I highly recommend that you do. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. 
And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Homemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.